Hello and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by two friends who love cinema. Tonight you'll be staying in room 172, Sanctuary, the psychosexual thriller directed by Zachary Wiggin. So go ahead and get comfortable and throw on that do not disturb sign as we scream our safe word with Sanctuary. It's going to be so weird to not have this as part of my routine anymore. What do you mean? What's going on, all my doms and subs, and thank you for checking back in. As always, make sure you like, subscribe, and comment if you're watching on YouTube. And as always, I'm your host, Gus, and I'm joined, as always, by Alvaro. What's up, guys? And uh, today, you know, we're here with, a, I guess, an extra episode. I'm not really sure. What do you think about that? Is this an extra episode, or are we making up for the two weeks we didn't put episodes out? Um, I think it, I think it should. It, we're making up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't promise the third one on the, you know, the normal Mondays that we do drop, but I was really excited to do this. Um, This is a movie that I haven't really uh, had too much insight to. I hadn't seen the trailer before this. I hadn't really looked into it at all. I just knew Christopher Abbott, Mark Quayley. I was like, okay, these are two interesting actors. I know, you know, we're a huge fan of Christopher Abbott on this podcast, um, but... You, on the other hand, Oliver, I know you had some hype for this movie, right? Yeah, for some reason. Um, I don't even know how I really came across it before. Um, I think it's Tiff. Um, last year. It was the picture of Margaret Qualey in the wig, huh? No, no, no but it was because that, that was already before. I had already known what the... Because I read the plot of the movie uh, before it came out in Tiff. And I saw that it was Christopher Ave and Margaret Qualey and... Um, the premise of reading the description of back then is like the, is something just mentioning the dominatrix, um, relationship. Um, I just became instantly interested in wanting to see it. I didn't even know if it would be good, honestly. And, um, to my surprise, um, it's, I really like it. So, yeah, I mean, but just go ahead and get that out of the way early. We both think this is a very good movie, right? Yeah. I felt re-energized walking out of the theater after having been so IP mainstream heavy in the last couple of months. As much as I loved those movies, this really was just a, a film. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that's it too. It kind of uh, scratched an itch I didn't even know I really had. Um, very throwback type of movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a young kid in the 90s and early 2000s, I feel like this is the kind of movie my parents would have watched and have said, like, you know, oh, go play with your toys or whatever. It's like a very adult movie, right? Yeah, exactly. And I don't feel baby-brained saying that. Like, oh, this is just past my sensibilities, right? Like, this is a for sure an, ad- an adult movie with a lot of adult subject matter. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, I think so. And uh, it was really refreshing, you know? Because, like, as, as violent as John Wick is... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a an adult movie. Yeah, I know? think it still has like the eye candy for the a teenager, you know. Yeah, like this is the kind of movie I feel like in the '90s you probably would have went and seen at midnight, you know. Hmm. Um. I, yeah, like I like that you said it was a, a itch that you didn't know you had. Um. I I do think that kind of, some somewhat similar to it. I would think. I, I mean, there's this kind of joke recurring joke that there's not enough sex in movies anymore and i know sometimes um we we talk about the puritines right yeah they don't really um enjoy that type of stuff just being thrown in there um and then and then i think it does have to do probably maybe with um you have stuff like euphoria which really like is um 
glamorizing that type of lifestyle so i think maybe kind of people are maybe over it or kind of don't feel anymore like sex is really needed and stuff but um when it's done with taste as we always talk about in this podcast um and when it's done to really show a relationship that i don't i'm sure there's other films who have talked about this or have had similar premises but it um, genuinely felt very unique to me yeah for sure this is this is definitely a unique movie. Like up to date too. Is for what the I'm time saying. that it's, we're in. Yeah, exactly. Like I can't think of many other movies that are like this. Hey, at least American movies. I feel like it's always good to preface that yeah. when you're talking about a movie like this. Because I'm sure, I honestly bet there's probably like 10 Korean movies like this. Or Japanese movies like this. Or maybe even, uh, as TikTok would like to say, some Eastern European movie. Yeah, right? from the, yeah. But I don't have access to those on a daily basis. So for me, this is kind of a unique film, you know, and I really appreciated that aspect of it that um, I, I knew this wasn't going to be something that I could talk to people about on the street, you know, when I'm out in public, like, oh, have you seen this movie lately? So that also felt uh, like, like it made the movie kind of personal to me. And I mean, obviously you as well. Yeah. It's kind of like that little thing that we have, which is funny because it kind of plays on the movie itself, right? Exactly. Like this is unintended, but because the movie's so small and because so few people have seen it, I feel like this is kind of a, oh, me and you have this secret that no one else knows about, they right? They don't know, yeah. And it's like, they don't know that this is actually really good yeah. and it makes me feel really happy. Right? <laughs> and yeah. in the movie, they're talking about something else and me and you were just talking about, a movie. A movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it does it does play really well into that. And but and I like that you brought that up because I do feel we've obviously talked about on this podcast. My choice for my birthday was another Christopher Abbott movie that's probably even smaller than this, you know. But it is crazy that I think the audience for this is pretty minimal, honestly. Yeah, I mean I don't think Neon really has the juice yet, even though they have put out a lot of really good movies. I mean they're putting out some of the better movies right now, but they don't have that A24 allure of like, oh, I'm going to go see the new Neon movie. And Not it's a, yet, at least. It's interesting, though, because you know how um, we've talked about, obviously, they they both have become now more mid-budget, obviously. But um, the where the part still seems to me where Neon is still more independent, more smaller than them, is they always talk about for like A24, they'll release like you know 15 movies in the year but they don't all they don't promo all of them because yeah. they don't all do very well there's a lot of a24 movies at the end of the year like what's that like uh, like i like i saw sharper things right and like that movies a24 doesn't show that movie at all you know and it's a movie that even they the probably felt ceramics sharper things shirt and it's like they felt even themselves like this is a movie that's not as good as others so neon they doesn't know what's hype yeah and neon doesn't feel like they get to do that like every movie they make, they do market like go watch this, and then it, if it clicks, it clicks, and if it doesn't, then they take the L on that. Because I mean, they had they have this like you know these two weeks, and then it always feels like they move on like or within like at least a month. Because before it's like had to blow up a pipeline, you know. Um, but they was that a neon movie? Yeah. So they distributed that, right? Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, they are kind of going a little more cutting edge. Uh, I feel like. If you've ever heard the CEO of Neon talk, he's kind of thrown shots at A24 of like, mm -hmm. oh, we're not like a marketing merch company. You know, we, we make films. Yeah. And they do have the Oscars to back that up. Or not the Oscars, sorry. They Well, they do with Parasite. But uh, the what, what nominations, con, I would say, too. Can, Con, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they've they, won they, the last yeah. four of those in a row. They destroyed so, there, yeah. You know, in the snooty artist cinema French world that, that maybe not everybody is into. 
they're dominating, right? So I think they they are like you know the real people who quote unquote matter know what's good, and I think they're kind of okay with you know where they are as a as a distributor. And I I do feel comfortable in us being because I feel like we we are the some of the people we're describing because like you said, um, the podcast was founded on Titan, right? We talked about Triangle of Sadness, and we'll probably talk about. The other movie that um, when this wasn't year. Crimes of the Future Neon, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've well, if you're only listening on YouTube, you don't even know about that secret episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. I, I that's never even brought, been brought up. I think right? no, yeah, but yeah, yeah, the Crimes of the Future episode is a podcast only episode due to YouTube bullshit. Yeah, but yeah, they don't anyways. like us. <laughs> YouTube, I don't know. It's not YouTube that doesn't like us. Just, that specific, yeah. That whoever is in charge of that movie, yeah. We, not even. I don't even think it was that. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Too behind the scenes on it, but yeah. So Neon is definitely making these interesting movies and these interesting choices, and I do think that they have kind of accepted more of like a a prestige movie thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, it is what it is. When you're making real art, you kind of have to accept that it's not going to be the most mainstream thing and i don't know how a24 did it i guess it's with cool t-shirts and coffee mugs right yeah on top of making cool movies but neon hasn't really figured out that angle yet it's not the it's i don't it's, see it happening soon either it's not hip it's not cool it's the coolest yeah like, and yeah. to me yeah well, exactly desert, right yeah you know? no but obviously yeah like i said uh, this podcast obviously feels they're equal in our eyes uh, at the end of the year both prior years we've always talked about who had the better year neon or a24 and um i know that it's they've played a big part in us realizing how much we like movies and um i think that's the closest right now for me even though you know you have anna pernas and even more independent type of films um i feel like they're making the smaller artsy films that are going to last in 20 years We'll see. Yeah, no, we'll see. Yeah, but yeah, but I, I do I get think. What you mean. Yeah, like you know, like well, we look back at the seventies experimental films. I think there's a couple of if there's any that are gonna do that, it's gonna be from them. You know, I hope so. Man, I get so nervous when I think about the future movies. I'm like, no one cares. Twenty <laughs> years in five years. This movie will be on HBO Max or Neon streaming service, and then they'll just pull it and be like, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like that Seinfeld clip of Kramer. It's like, they write it off. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. is writing it off? Those who know how to write off, write, write off. off. Write it off. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just. I hope not. The, it gets very bleak sometimes when you think about that. Like when you say 20 years from now. I'm like, I, I, probably not. Yeah. Like, but, Iron Man was the best movie of all time. Yeah. That is what stands out. Uh, I mean, the, it's funny that you bring that up because I think, uh, obviously, the episode we did before is like the polar opposite in terms of scale. But um, that is where the appreciative, I guess, as a podcast comes because all of those people going to go watch, you know, in the movie theater, uh, Spider-Verse gets it's kind of a page for the one showing of Sanctuary. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, well, I will say, since I had mentioned it earlier about the IP train kind of coming to a halt for a little while. Well, I don't know. We're seeing the flash next week. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will say, though, as, because Spider-Verse was cinema and I believe Sanctuary is also cinema. I was really euphoric walking out of the movies, you know, because yeah. I felt like I had seen two of the year's best back to back and they were so polar opposite. And, you know. The, 
I'm the Chad movie watcher. Mm-hmm. I simply enjoy both. Uh, <laughs> yeah. right? But I feel like this is a really nice balance. I saw like the ultimate, you know, uh, animation is cinema. Kids movies can be great movie. But then I also got to see just the most like, don't bring your fucking kid here. Type of movie, <laughs> yeah, you know? And I was just like, this is nice, man. I really like this. this I went from HBO to HBO after dark real fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, when I walked out, I just felt you know, rejuvenated. I felt like, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I felt like the end of the breakfast club, you know, I threw my fist in the air. Yeah. I, I will, I will say just obviously going to dive deeper into it, but that, that, um, when you said that it, it felt like that itch that you didn't know you had to scratch. I think that's how I felt emotionally too, in terms of the emotions I felt through this movie were not ones I usually feel watching movies, you know, like to, think about the things it made me think about. And also um, a, a thing that I found really interesting about this is while it is very character driven and the actors here really perform and it's obviously just them for 99% of the runtime um, is that. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um, it actually lost. Sorry. I lost my train of thought. No, that's fine. Um, I did want to ask you and not to put you too much on the oh. spot here. Well, are you ready? No, you can ask me. No, no, no. Go ahead. I don't want you to lose this. Because so. I, I was just going to say the emotions that I felt um, were also tied in really well uh, with comedic relief moments where I thought that um, the ridiculousness in this wall, um, funny, was also true and things that I could find or in the in the whole arc of the story that's going on here, the characters that I established, I could see these people being... Uh, just very lived in, which is what we talked about in uh, Spider-Verse as well, where these characters seem like I could walk um, next to them in the street. Yeah, definitely. They got the Lydia Tar. Yeah. That's the, that's the easiest Lydia, way to put yeah. it now. You know, she's real. Would Would Lydia Tar like this movie? <laughs> uh, but what I meant to ask you is that you, ha- you had seen this movie uh, many weeks before me because you saw it. I don't know if it was technically early or not. I feel like I'm seeing this movie late. Uh, but you got to do something you haven't always got to do, which is have uh, you attended a Q&A, right? Yeah, live Q&A, Q&A finally. Q&A after yeah. with uh, Margaret, Margaret Quayley and uh, Zachary Wiggin, right? Yeah. Uh, did you Were you a cub reporter for the Grand Cinema Hotel? I know, I'm sure you didn't ask a question. I know you that you probably didn't. But... Anything interesting or any kind of insight that maybe you you or I or someone else wouldn't find on YouTube, you know? I kind of, um, it, it wasn't the type of Q&A where they were asking people to do questions and they did it real quick, but it seemed like they were trying to get one or two in and nobody had a question. I found that interesting. I wasn't sit. <clears throat> I wasn't sat too close to the front, so I felt like it would be really weird to scream a question. Personally. They didn't even have a microphone. Yeah, so even we have that, a microphone. <laughs> besides that, um, it did seem like the thing that I took a lot from the, the movie that I've been saving. Um, that he said that it, I guess was interesting to me, but also kind of lives to me as a as a stretch into what the he said. Said this, yeah, is that kind of getting ahead of myself? But there's only two other people in this movie for like half a second they're extra split and they're yeah. yeah and it's an older couple and when you're watching this movie it just seems like everything is so in place for a reason and um 
he was kind of talking about, and nobody had ever asked him this before, and he just kind of wanted to give us an interesting, like this was an interesting part while he was writing that he put thought to that I don't know if many people had caught, but he said that he purposely did try to get actors um, that looked a certain way casted as those extras, and then that kind of prompted the question. Um, uh, I'm not sure who was the person who was medi- mediating the questions, actually, uh, but it seems like somebody that they've that does this very often because they they knew each other so they had a they're like laughing you know um but he said that basically and once you get to the end i feel like it kind of makes sense but that it it is supposed to be like what they're supposed to be in the future and so then once you watch the movie and obviously that when i rewatched this with you i kind of paid more attention to the small second there that these we see these other extra characters what kind of relationship do they have and it's very normal yeah and um what like what i took of that what after it gave you a lot of thought in terms of you know wanting to when you're impressed by things or when you think uh you want to write things like this um i just kind of felt like again the lift thing and a couple that that old that loves each other that hard could have had that exact type of encounter and meeting when they first met and that's the type of stuff where they talk about you don't know what somebody's been through and i kind of felt like to be able to in a way something that seems so small um kind of tie back in a way that make that made me think about it and be kind of like um connect to what i i took away from the movie kind of made me more feel like um i'm excited for what he might do i don't know if we've you know there's a lot of directors that we've talked about before that they made one good movie and you know the rest are just forgotten as well but because I got that chance with them and he like that little comment there, I felt like um, it kind of just solidified why I like the movie so much. Yeah. See, that's, that's really good stuff. Cause I, who knows if he said that in anywhere like, on anywhere like, recorded, else, right? You yeah. Know? And I always do think it's cool that you have gotten a chance to go to these things here and there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm glad you did that because who knows if that is out there. Maybe the maybe the conversation is on YouTube for all you know, but I mean, if they didn't have a microphone, I really don't think anybody was recording it. Either. It was pretty dark in there too just because um it wasn't the biggest theater. It's one of the smaller agencies. What was uh, Margaret Margaret Quayley like? Yeah, so she seems like she's um very, very I mean, even we were watching a, a YouTube video of her, she just seems like she's um her as a person seems like she's the opposite of anything that she plays. I know we've like obviously once upon a time in Hollywood Acting. as well. Yeah. And <laughs> like, she just seems like she's more into like, she's not from LA. She seems so pretty I think so like, she seems to be a lot about building relationships with people and she trusts people. And, um, I, another interesting thing actually that I did learn, I'm glad that you asked me in, about this. Cause it, it remembered, it reminded me is that, her and Christopher Abbott had been talking for years about working together. And so um, when Zachary Wigan pitched this movie to Margaret Quayley, um, she brought up, like, we should get, we should ask Chris if he would want to do it. And that was the reason why, like, Zachary was like, yeah, that would be fantastic. Like, I'd love to have him in the movie, you know? And, like, um, I just think that that's, that's really cool because, like you said, we really like, uh, Margaret Quayley does a lot obviously and um, I haven't really watched a lot of her movies but we are big fans of Christopher Abbott so it's kind of cool to see somebody who I do think is really down to earth like Margaret Quayley feel the same way about somebody like Christopher Abbott you know you know I haven't really seen much of her work because the other two things I have seen her in she was very small 
uh, role. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But she's also in The Nice Guys. She <laughs> is the, uh, what's the girl's name that they're looking for the entire time? Uh, I don't remember at the top of my head, but I didn't even, she's pretty young in that I movie, I always huh? want to say Shasta, but that's the girl from fucking, uh, <laughs> that's the, the girl that Joaquin Phoenix is with in Inherent Vice. I never remember what her name is. In I'm going to look it up. Um, but the other, uh, the other thing I'm interested in watching because of this, and I should be anyway, just because it's a Claire Denny movie, is uh, Stars, Amelia. At, Stars at Noon. Oh, yeah, Amelia. Oh, Stars at Noon, yeah. But Stars at Noon is yes. the other one that came out this year. Or not this year, sorry, 2022. And I had seen some people who are not the biggest fans of uh, Sanctuary. And there was another movie similar to Stars at Noon. But they're like, just watch this. Like, this is... Not that they're similar, but they're like this is the one of like the the steamy romance movies. You want to see Margaret Margaret Qualley in one of those movies? Watch that. But I do want to see it now after seeing this movie because I thought she was fantastic in this movie. I don't want to say she outacted Christopher Abbott because I do think that that's how the role is written. But uh, you know he's also doing just phenomenal work in this, and I do think that because. The, uh, getting into the movie just a little bit here. I do think because it's a one one room location for the entire runtime, maybe except for like 20 seconds, which is the sequence you're talking about because it happens by the elevator. Um, you know, it's it's kind of got that play energy that I don't always love, but in this case I really did, and I do think it's because the cinematography exactly. and the lighting and the blocking and the framing and everything like that is done extremely well and is also done creatively, but also while having intent. You know, I know some people forget that film is a visual medium and the f- visuals are just as important as the story. Uh, so I do think that this did fun and creative things to kind of uh expand the boundaries of the set you know yeah it's, I agree. it's not a tiny hotel room by no it's not means. it's not it's one of the most extravagant hotel rooms you could probably stay in <laughs> but, but also you know these things can still feel uh really claustrophobic yeah no i agree i i actually really like that you brought up the um obviously we'll get into cinematography more but the blocking was something that i think is what made this movie to me and you is this a covid movie did they say anything about that was this filmed during quarantine or shot around that time where the actors are still wearing masks between takes and stuff like that because it a lot of other movies with similar premises of one hotel room or whatever kind of came out re- out of in the that. past year or two. See, they didn't mention it, and I, I kind of felt the same way. Like, that was a, a question that lingered over me because they said of how fast they did this movie. 18 which is, days. Yeah, so it made me feel like that seems like it would be in a rush, right, like before a pandemic. Um, but I actually, they didn't mention it, so I don't think so. Um, mm. but like, Let me see. I mean, well, go ahead. I'm yeah. going to see if I can get it on you know, yeah, the maybe most reliable source on the internet, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> but the the blocking is something that really stood out to this movie a lot, and I think it's a movie that has one of the biggest um, premises to be able to highlight what blocking does in cinema. And I mean, it's this movie is all about power dynamics and the balance of power and being a sub and a dom. And um, I think that's when a lot of like the relationship physical relationship and spacing between our characters can say a lot and um we've kind of talked about uh martin scorsese always really praising ari aster for really understanding the language of cinema and i think that this movie is why it really i felt like it excelled to me as a part 
from the characters and the acting being so centered and them really obviously doing an outstanding job but it's that the blocking so much is said by the positions that our characters are sat in and um what the power power dynamics physically are and the other part um the cinematography that you said it, it always seems like every frame was thought of to not copy anything else that what they did and that's what keeps it really um fresh honestly and new um it, it um yeah i think that's basically my end of the thought but um yeah, my bad. Oh, no, you're all good. <laughs> so the, the cinematography, by the way, is done by, uh, his name is Ludovica Isidori, uh, and the editing is Lance Edmonds. Editing is uh, really well. Yeah, I was going to say that these things are extremely important mm-hmm. aspects of this film, so shout out them, uh, as always. What? Because uh, you brought up the editor, there was another thing that he brought up about that. He wanted to do, there's a shot in the movie where they're trying to get the phone, mm-hmm. and they drop to the floor, and then they try to reach it. Mm-hmm. Zachary Wiggins head, he tried to make that a one shot. So he was trying to get the shot start where the phone gets like that and then have the camera twist in as they fell. No, they were like, you can't. They tried and it just was, it wasn't working. And then I just really think like the effect of something when you're stunted by what is possible as a director, it's up to the editor to basically give us that same feeling, right? And I, I think that's where... You talk about them being so important, and I think that scene, whatever it was that he was trying to evoke, I think it. I I felt exactly. I love that because while this might not be everyone's favorite movie, you could think it's a piece of shit. You could think it's really great. I do think it's it's exciting to hear that Zachary Wiggin is trying things that are not possible. (laughs) You know, like those are things that you want to hear from. newer filmmakers you know like i always think and not to compare him at all but you know there's that famous orson wells uh quote about like how did you come up with these ideas for citizen kane and it's like by simply not knowing that they weren't possible like just out of ignorance like oh i can get the camera to twist and go down and whatever and like no you can't because the camera is 200 pounds and it doesn't work like that and who's gonna twist you know yeah and then like that's you know that movie magic of editing which is important somebody tell netflix that right? <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and the last person i think we really need to bring up uh is the writer so that would be micah bloomberg and before we had started this episode, I was just seeing what was out there on the tubes. Uh, there's a little Vanity Fair piece, I believe, with Zachary Wiggin oh, and cool. the two the actors. Um, the, uh, the the concept for the story is like half Micah Bloomberg and half uh, Zachary Wiggin. Or, yeah, that's his name, right? Wiggin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, when the story was brought to Micah Bloomberg... He was like, oh, this is interesting because I already have a, uh, a stage play, one act of uh, Dominatrix and her client. And so then they blended it with, like, Zachary Wiggins' characters, and then they got this perfect blend. Well, I think a perfect blend, yeah. you know, of uh, this stage play aspect and then this this movie-making aspect to just really just give me this really euphoric exciting feeling when i walked out of the movies you know of like ah yes these people understand you know like i felt like these are people who love the craft and i always 
want that when I walk out of the movies. And, you know, not to bring up Spider-Verse again, but I feel that in Spider-Verse, yeah. you know? And that's just a really good feeling to have. And then when it's about a movie that has, uh, I, I don't want to say raunchy subject matter, but, you know, not exactly... Uh, Family friendly. Not exactly dinner conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not something you would talk about at the dinner table. Uh, and then you make it so exciting and so fresh. And also to like, we had, we used to say this a long time ago. I, uh, oh, I feel like I want to take a shower after watching this movie. <laughs> you know, surprisingly, you know, not to give anything away because I don't know if this is the type of film where you want to go in knowing that the ending just gives you this thing that you're like, wow, I, I guess I should have seen that coming, but also... Like, whoa, you know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a love story. Away. There you oh go. Giving God. it away. Um, but yeah. And then another thing I thought was interesting, and this is why I brought up the Q and A as well, is that the way Vanity Fair, whoever it was, uh, led off the YouTube video was the actors putting an emphasis on like, yeah, like sometimes movies aren't as deep as you guys say they are and they're just a really fun time. And like that was the whole point is that we wanted to make something crazy and fun that you go see to have a really good time and talk about. And it isn't this deep thematic, let's unpack all of this. So, you know, as a podcaster, I'm like, oh, shit, here goes all my thoughts. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. The, they're, they're telling me like you're overthinking it, bro. Right. Uh, did they say anything like that when you were at the Q&A? Um, I not to that extent. I would say I think um, it it did come across though as a Zachary Wigan. Like I said, there it was more pushed towards the relationship they had with each other and how comfortable they were with each other and the fact that they did in eighteen days. It kind of end up feeling like um, it it was easy for them to kind of pull this off. Um, it doesn't mean that there was no effort there, but I think that it did seem like Zachary Wigan and maybe some of the writing was so. Um, vital to the story here that that was the main component and um, it being in a hotel room kind of maybe limits you to what you can do but I think that they made every small choice that they could make um, well you know even when it comes to picking the colors even her outfits and stuff like that so I think um, it, it didn't it didn't come off like this was something that should be deep like you know what I mean but they I I, I do feel like the substance itself lends itself because it's not a family friendly topic lends itself to discussions that may be deeper. You, you know, know it, it, it kind of is like a, a reflection of the person who watches it. Right. I guess if you really think that this is like this extremely deep twisted, uh, you know, psychosexual movie, right. That you, and you know, you, you look at, you look down at these people when you're watching this, then yeah, maybe it is kind of, going to hit you in a different way versus if you're more op open-minded to like kind of what you said if it is true that that couple is supposed to be like a i'm so marvel brained right or so spider brained right now if there's a multiverse version of them, yeah, right? yeah. No, but, you know, if, if this older couple is meant to be a reflection of oh you never know how you could uh how love stories start right um and you kind of are more open-minded about these things. I could see why you would seem like, yeah, it was just, I don't know. Just freaks being freaks, dude. Like, yeah. You know, like, like I've met people I, like this. I don't judge this. people like this, I guess, you know? He's like, uh, I did the whole time I was thinking about, because we've all, me and you joke about this a lot. It's because, I mean, we love Ari Aster, but the, what this guy thinks is scary. is like, what a nerd, right? Yeah. 
I did feel that way after l- listening to Zachary Wigan that like it's not he's not that he's been in these positions to be you know any of the characters in this movie, but that this is how what he probably has friends and he imagines is what goes on and like again kind of doing that Orson Welles thing out of not knowing that's what like I out of not knowing assume that this is real or it could happen. Well, know? for me at least, I was telling you that I do think that this movie. Someone could watch it and be like, that's so unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's more realistic than most movies that come out. I'm like, dude, dude this is happening to some rich guy right now. Bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and 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 he's going to, you know, well, no spoilers. I won't talk about the future, but, you know. But yeah, but he, but it's the fact that, like, um, maybe the specifics aren't exact, but you know this relationship. And, you know, when you get into the deeper reasonings as to why she's a dominatrix, why sh- this relationship would be this weird like it, it completely makes sense you know i think one thing we could talk about as like a theme in the movie without getting too heady about it which is like it's not like that's what we're best at doing anyways is uh this idea that a dominatrix and a ceo are not that different from each other mm-hmm. you know that was also reflected on in like the menu right yeah but how the type of person to be a dominatrix how confident you would have to be or at least act like you are is the kind of uh that's like that's the kind of inspiration a ceo seeks you know is to just to dominate people in the same exact way right and not everyone who's a ceo is has the confidence of a dominatrix and and it's just like that to me was the most interesting dynamic in the movie is that she is almost like she was his coach you know what i mean like i'm gonna teach you how to be a boss i'm gonna teach you how to not be this little wimpy, wormy coward, you know? And then the fun part is the fight back of like, oh, you just think I'm this wimpy little coward. And, you know, by the end, you you get to see whether he is or he isn't or if she is a boss or she's not a boss. And But it's not really that important, you know? Because when you get to the end and you, you see that last shot, it's kind of just, I don't want to say it's throwaway, but, you know, what happens in that hotel room is its own world and i did feel like as a movie goer i felt the same way you know as soon as they left that hotel room i'm like okay well that's that's all gone now it, stay I, in there i i think They're uh just people know the fact that you kind of said like the ceo and the dominatrix relationship and like how they're similar that kind of the ending just kind of really um establishes that the understanding of what our characters were trying to get over to each other and the obviously main beef of this movie or the main part of this movie has obviously they both come to the conclusion that they're both right, you know, and like I think that's like as as an audience member when you also feel like that that's why the ending isn't like to me it's not ridiculous because of what you said. It'd be like this makes sense that after um, the stress that this character is put in, the male character Christopher Abbott here, and the relationship that he has with this dominatrix, the outcome of what happens makes complete sense to me, you know, and um, I think that sometimes you walk out of movies not really understanding people's choices or really it feeling the same way the characters in the movie felt and i did feel like they did a really good job of relaying to you why this is normal you know what do you think about maybe from a criticism point of view that this movie is i i don't know if i don't even know if this is anything people are saying but because of the stage aspect of it and because it's just two characters talking the entire time uh, do you think that this movie gets heavy-handed with what its themes are? 
like it's literally smacking you in the face with them i don't i don't think so i think and the reason i don't think so is because it's i think it's a funny movie too and that's not something that i uh it stands out to me a lot but i think if you really sit there and listen to the way these lines are meant to be delivered and christopher abbott does such a good way of doing it and and i think the comedic part of it and i don't feel like this is spoiling anything but he's a certain person and you're very solidified by what kind of person he is once you have those first initial conversations that he has with uh market quayley's character so you're like he is someone who's unsure of himself so when he says these things thinking he sounds cool they're funny to me because i know they're funny to her mm-hmm. and um those deliverances i feel like cut what with the heavy-handedness would be because in a movie that should be very high like that is very dialogue driven i don't think the dialogue is very like oh this is hard movie to understand i still think it really keeps that very grounded and i think that's like kind of very easy to that i think that that may be some of the criticism is that i don't think they think that the dialogue between them is very like realistic or it seems kind of like not on the level that you think this movie is on the yeah, level i see so i I would I would disagree with that, and I like that's not what you're saying. But I mean, I would disagree with that take. You know, I wouldn't. I didn't feel that way at all. Like the unrealistic aspect of it. I mean, I how when like the whole point of the movie is that it starts off of a what is essentially like a business breakup. You know. Yeah. So I also and it delves between this what's real, what's not real. You know, I don't want to say it's a meta movie, but. You know, they break character, you know, not, yeah, they, not, yeah. she doesn't become Margaret Qualey. Yeah. You know, she's playing a character. She's a character who is a character, you know, and I did think that it was weaving that well, you know, like it, it, I don't think it was exactly the trickiest thing to navigate, but I was like, this is really sticking the landing to me. And, and, and that's what I, cause I, I don't agree with what I'm saying, but I, I think that when I have read the, what people have an issue with is that they think it's boring. So really? like if if they think it's boring, I think it, it comes down to you don't think this this conversation is wow. actually full of like the power dynamics. We're talking about this back to him, back to her, back to him, back to because like to me that's what makes the movie interesting. I was like it's it's changing in our eyes. She thinks she's the boss. He thinks she's the boss. She thinks he's the boss. He thinks like from one word to another within like um that's what I'm talking about. Like to me, the blocking literally where our character decides to sit, the distance between them, how they're looking at each other, all of those things to me, I'm like, I'm so interested while all of this is happening. And what you talk about, you throw the cinematography and these creative shots, all of a sudden there's punch drug love kind of movie you're oh, using. Baby. <laughs> this movie's movie gorgeous. <laughs> like it just throws colors at your screen just kind and i'm there for it but I, that's why i don't find it boring at all but i have seen that that is what people think and they, and they don't really appreciate christopher abbott's character as much as they do margaret quayley oh she's still in the show here yeah I mean, how, this that's it yeah this is but her big breakout performance to me at least i get i know she was in that show the show that might as well be like whitewashing the brown woman struggle. Yeah, <laughs> Have you yeah, seen yeah. That? Do you no, know yeah, that's, that's, one of, that's one of my parents' favorite show. Made, right? Yeah, yeah my and parents love like, that show. Literally, everybody knows a Mexican chick like this. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that that's okay, the only other thing. This white girl with blue eyes, right? because yeah, you know what's funny is I I had prompted a question if like they it was open question right I had prompted a question in terms of um she's. I had looked a little into the stuff that she had done and I was like, there's no real 
consistency in terms of what you'll take up. So what is your criteria to what kind of roles you choose? You know, because you work with Quentin Tarantino and then you do something like a TV series and then like that's something that usually aren't really seen in the same scope. And it's not because everybody's like, well, Margaret Quietly fell off. It's just because she chooses, she's choosing to do that currently. So it, it's interesting to me to go to that and then Sanctuary. And then, like you said, she's been in smaller roles and other things. And acting's just different now than it was before. Yeah. You have to have, you have to do both now. Yeah, exactly. And, and I see nothing wrong with that. I think some of the older heads do, but I think oh, yeah. personally, it's we used to have movie stars. Yeah. And I, I think not for, working actors, <laughs> And I think personally, though, that it just kind of shows um, someone like me who ends up enjoying performances. Uh, I'll take them anywhere, you know. Um, you know, it's funny that you say that about Quentin Tarantino and like the scope of being in one of his movies. But they talk about how that group of young actors that was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they're all huge, famous yeah. actors now. They're um, like, so QT did it first, you know. What They're is like it? he got to not you know this is romanticizing the whole thing but it's not like oh they went to the school of Tarantino on how to be you know whatever he's not Steven Spielberg yet where <laughs> there are, yeah. we all listen to what Papa said but he he there was a reason these were these people were chosen because I know there's he um, has taste um, Texas uh, Austin Butler Austin Butler is, yeah uh, you know Elvis Presley yeah so I'm j- I'm just saying it obviously the people that they choose for this movie's QT has various people and you know like this you, yeah, maybe you got to put her in this you know but at the end of the day i do feel like he you could tell when certain actors um from a young age are just ready to act. like you said like it, they're working actors so they'll turn it on for any any role that you ask them to yeah th- this is a sidebar but since we're talking about quentin tarantino i wanted to bring it up uh r.i.p rick dalton right oh yeah that's that's one of the funnier things that's been happening in the world of movies lately if you yeah don't that's, know, that's funny uh quentin tarantino on his podcast uh video archives or whatever it's called <laughs> decided that uh today or not today but you know whatever date the it day was, was, it was yeah. like do you do you remember when it what day it was supposed to be i don't remember what day it was, Anyways, it, was it was the passing of rick dalton uh beloved actor uh, legendary screen presence, right? He passed away. Uh, Quentin Tarantino did a full-on podcast episode. Uh, this I, I wanted to bring it up because like, they were saying this is just one of the greatest acts of narcissism I've ever seen. Yeah. Where it's like Quentin Tarantino talking to his made-up character for two and a half hours about fake movies that Quentin Tarantino made up. And also, you know, Rick Dalton complimenting, wow, Quentin, you sure do know a lot about movies. Hey. I don't know if you've seen this, but this is just one of my favorite weird things that's going on in movies right now. And I just thought it had to be brought up. Yeah, so. as a podcast, it's the type of dumb stuff that if we had the power to, I would have announced, you know. Hey, we have a fake hotel that we run a yeah, podcast so out of. It's way too elaborate for no reason. Yeah, right? so we, we're we fans of making the stuff up and acting like all these people are staying here, you know. So I, I love it just because it's a maniacal genius type of thing to do. The lore expanded, huh? Yeah, they, they're like, yeah, the people were not supposed to have this much lore. Yeah, I definitely. was, huh? Yeah. I, I love lore. Yeah, you know what? You know why you weren't supposed to? Because you can't think of this cool shit. <laughs> but the making of fake movies for two and a half hours—that's just that's just a master touch. Uh, but anyways, back to Margaret Qualley and Sanctuary. Um, yeah, and, and, and just because we were talking about them being in Christopher Abbott is in the same type of where you would put Austin Butler too, um, where they're not actors that I would say people know them as the mainstream. They're well, not Austin t- Butler now is yeah yeah that's a superstar. They're, he's in Dune. Dude. They're Timothy Chalamet yeah level now. Christopher but, Abbott's got a lot of work to do to become a household name. Yeah, but you know 
um, us that like watching movies a lot, these these are the type of actors that end up. I get excited for their projects because I'm like they actors. We have to we have to hold him near and dear. Please don't Jonathan Majors this right. I really need Christopher Abbott to hold on because the you know the reports are coming in that Paul Mescal is going to join the MCU, and I'm like no. <laughs> Adam Driver, they might join the MCU. No, like, I'm losing my favorite actors left and right. The bag is inevitable. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the bag. Thanos, huh? he's inevitable. Man, <laughs> dread it, run from it. So, <laughs> so I'm like, Christopher Abbott, keep doing this weirdo shit so they don't cast you in the MCU. Please. I was like, before I was like, you know, Timothy Chalamet and Florence Pugh. <laughs> <laughs> he's my new breed of like actor that you never heard of, right? But all the all the cool people who heard of Christopher Abbott. <laughs> if you're listening to this show, you definitely know who he is. But ask ask some dude in the cubicle next to you. There's no shot he knows who this Christopher guy is. Christopher Abbott. <laughs> Tell him if he knows who Possessor is. Yeah, like, dude. Oh, I'm sorry you don't. I'm sorry you don't know, and you're missing out on one of the greatest working actors today. But yeah. hey, I guess some people are into that. I guess you're not a sicko. <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Abbott, sweet prince, dude. Yeah. Um, I don't really have too much more to say because I do think I will start spoiling this movie if I go on much longer than this. And this is technically a bonus episode. Uh, So you got any closing thoughts before you want to close this out? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say that after you kind of preface with this, but um, after doing a lot of the IP movies, which we like, I mean, they're I'm pretty sure some of them are in your top 10. You know, some of them are for me for too. John Wick is still immovable at this point. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with IP, but. Uh, I mean, this movie was just really refreshing. And whenever a movie like this becomes one of my favorite movies, um, I do. It kind of really shows or reinforces the love I have for cinema, I think. Yeah. uh, I think what happened with the IP train of moving was that we just weren't getting enough of a balance recently. Because, like we said, we had saw Master Gardener. And we were like, fuck. Like, I thought that was going to be my balance. Yeah, yeah. And then we just needed something like this. Because a few months ago, I, I feel like the balance was pretty good. It was like, oh, wow, Evil Dead did this. And uh, even though it's IP, you know, it's like it's a smaller movie, but it still did really good. And then this movie's doing good. This movie's doing good. Um, unfortunately, I don't think Sanctuary will probably make any money. But thankfully, that's not Neon's main motive, it seems like, when they distribute movies. So go see this movie because it definitely needs the help. There was only two other people sitting in the theater with us. Oh, I forgot. I want to close it out. They were having their their own sanctuary. I'm sure me and you were like inadvertently cock blocking just by existing in this theater. (laughs) Yeah. Which hasn't happened to me in a very long time. And I was just kind of like, yo, chill. I'm watching the movie. Yeah. Um, I get it. It's hot. (laughs) Literally, the girl was like, no, stop it. I Flashbacks. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I was like, yo, can you guys just go home and watch porn together? Please yeah, let me yeah, out of this. Come on, man. This is the first time I'm watching this movie. Yeah, I don't need it going on in live action behind me either. But that was interesting. I, I just felt like <laughs> yeah. that was more of an exciting theater experience, even though there's only two other people there. Yeah, like, wow. At first, we were, we thought we were getting a private screening. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> these these teenagers pull up. And they oh, were having. Man, we never got to do the thing where we were hoping that it was just going to be me and you. And I screenshotted my picture and be like, can you believe it? Just one guy sat next to me in the theater. <laughs> I was the only guy here. Yeah. <laughs> and then somebody else comes in. Where do you think he wants to sit? Oh, man. But anyways, go see Sanctuary if you haven't. If you're looking for some uh, really fun, ha-ha, sicko shit, I do think that you will be satisfied. And maybe even a little surprised. Um, unfortunately, 
I don't want to ruin this movie for anybody, so this podcast can't go on much longer. This is the kind of movie you just want to experience as blank as possible. So I mean, it's not that long. Any 90 yeah, minutes runtime. It's a banger of a movie. Go check it out, man. Yeah, man. All right. Like, subscribe, comment as always, and please tell us if you saw and you enjoyed Sanctuary. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.